morning, church. So, uh, Chinese New Year feasting. Uh. The other day, I put on my pants and the button popped. True story. Okay. So, uh, since we're on the topic of food, I just want to ask, uh, have you ever eaten live animals? No, swallowing the fly that flew into your mouth doesn't count. Huh? Uh, I mean food that is intentionally prepared to be eaten alive. An article on listverse.com listed 10 animals that people eat alive today. I've picked uh, three of these from different cultures for us to reflect on. I should warn you that this may be a little bit disturbing. In Italy, there is a traditional fermented cheese known as kasumatsu. The cheese is made by introducing cheese flies to fresh sheep milk cheese. Over the course of two to three months, maggots will infest the cheese wheel, feeding on the cheese and excreting it out again. This process creates the signature doughy texture and acidic taste of the kasumatsu. The cheese is usually eaten while the maggots are still alive. In some parts of China and Taiwan, there is a dish called yingyang fish, also known as dead or alive fish. The body of the fish is rapidly deep fried while the head is kept above the oil. When cooked properly, and if the internal organs are not damaged, the fish can remain alive for 30 minutes on your table. And in many parts of the world, people eat live seafood such as baby octopus, shrimp, sea urchin, oysters. Yeah, I see frowns and squirms already. Yeah. Oysters. Apparently, oysters can remain alive for quite a while after their shells are cracked open. They only begin to die when their flesh is separated from the shell. So if you've eaten fresh oysters from the shell before, you may have chewed on a live one. Okay, I'm done now. Yeah. <laughs> we'll pick this up again later. Today is the first Sunday in the season of Lent, which is the annual season of penitence, fasting and prayer for disciples of Jesus Christ. I have chosen to preach from our Old Testament reading from Genesis 9 because I want to talk about God's covenant with Noah this week and then God's covenant with Abraham next week. Here's my outline for today. The message I hope to bring across is walk with God in faith and obedience continually. When we come to Genesis chapter 9, the story of Noah's ark is almost over. Noah did everything that God commanded him to do. He built the ark, took his family, and at least one pair of every living creature with him and rode out the rain and the flood. When they finally came out of the ark, God met them and spoke to them. Genesis 9 contains four divine speeches which God spoke to Noah and his sons after the flood. The first post-flood speech is about a couple of new commandments God issued to Noah. Our passage covers the second, third, and fourth post-flood speeches, which are about God which are about the covenant God made with Noah. These three covenant-making speeches overlap with each other a bit, but there are only three main points we need to know. Covenant partners, covenant content, and covenant sign. We'll look at these in turn quickly. First, the covenant partners. Verses 9 to 10. God says, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your offspring after you and with every living creature that is with you the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. The Noachic covenant is an agreement between God and all the living creatures he has created. 
God is promising to benefit all human and non-human living creatures equally. Since the Noachic covenant is an everlasting covenant, this means we also benefit from it today. That God would make a covenant with every living creature tells us that all life is precious in the eyes of God. No doubt, we who are made in the image of God may have a higher position and greater authority than all other creatures. But God loves all living creatures he has made, and therefore his mercy embraces everyone. Second, the covenant content. Verse 11, I establish my covenant with you, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. God promises that there will not be another global worldwide flood that drowns all life on earth. On a theological level, it means that God will not repeat this form of punishment on the sins of the world. And lastly, the covenant sign, verse 13. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. The Hebrew word for bow means either the hunting bow or the seven-colored rainbow. Here, the sign of the Noachic covenant is obviously the rainbow. Nevertheless, commentators believe that God chose to use the bow to take advantage of its double meaning. When God sets the bow in the clouds, it also means that he is hanging up his weapon. This symbolizes God's determination to stop fighting against his creatures. The idea that the bow is a sign of peace is reinforced by the fact that it is a reminder for God, the one who brought destruction. God says in verses 14 to 15, When I bring clouds over the earth, and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh, and the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. God uses the bow to remind himself that he has promised to be patient and merciful to all creatures as long as the earth endures. No wonder the Noachic covenant is also known as the covenant of peace. But it can also be called a covenant of relief. You see, Noah's father had hoped that his son would be the one to bring relief to humanity. And this came true when God chose to partner Noah to relieve the earth from repeated cycles of destruction and recreation, thereby preserving all living creatures to the end of time. Now we must ask, why is the Noachic covenant necessary? Why was there a world-ending flood in the first place? The answer begins in Genesis chapter 6, verses 12 to 13. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. All life has committed violence on earth, therefore all life deserves to be destroyed. We may begin to understand the violence and corruption in those days when we perform a mirror reading of the Noachic covenants in the first post-flood speech. 
The assumption here is that God issues commandments to restrain evil on earth. Hence, reversing the commandments will give us clues to the evil that was going on. In this case, the Noachic covenants tell us that there was enmity between human and non-human living creatures and enmity between fellow humans. We know about the enmity between human and non-human living creatures from Genesis 9 verses 3 to 4. God commanded saying, Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. As I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. This commandment is a reminder that Adam and Eve and their descendants were supposed to live on fruits and vegetables. However, they started catching fish, hunting birds and animals and eating them for food. Moreover, they were eating them with their life, which literally means with blood still pulsating through their veins. Imagine humans biting and tearing away at their prey. Now, this is not how God designed creation. This is a corruption of the food chain. It was violence against other living creatures. On the other hand, non-human living creatures also committed violence against humans. In Genesis 9 verse 5, God says, And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning from every beast. I will require it. This commandment tells us that non-human living creatures were attacking and killing humans. It's not so hard to believe since it is still happening today. A selection of newspaper headlines will prove the point. Hey? Oh. Hey? Where are the headlines? Ah, there. Angry birds. Crow attacks Orchard Road pedestrians. Global shark bite deaths doubled in 2023 with 40% occurring in Australia. Russian hunter is killed and eaten to the bone by brown bear he raised as a cub after it escaped its cage in his garden. Genesis 9.5 also reviews the enmity between fellow humans. From his fellow men, I will require a reckoning for the life of men. People were attacking and killing each other. Biblical records of human activities before the flood give us plenty of examples. Cain killed his brother Abel in anger and jealousy. Lamech murdered a young man for wounding him. People fought each other to earn renown as warriors and heroes. Oh yeah, they have UFC back then, only more lethal. Such was the wickedness of humankind which corrupted the earth. And so we learn that before the flood, the earth was filled with violence because every living creature was out to get every other living creature. Man against beast, beast against man, man against man. Imagine a man fled from a lion, but a bear met him. He hid in his own house, then a serpent bit him. Nobody is safe. Nowhere is safe. God was grieved to his heart to see all the creatures he has created fight, kill, and eat each other. In his holiness, he had to do something about the rampant evil that was on his good earth. Thus, he decided to destroy all living creatures with a flood. 
If all the evil people and creatures were destroyed in that flood, why is the Noachic covenant necessary? Uh, because we're still here. Before the flood, God's assessment of humankind was grim. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. After the flood, God's assessment of humankind remains grim. The intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. This means that even though we are the descendants of survivors of the flood, we are not the good guys. I hate to break it to you, but Noah and his sons and their descendants after them all the way down to earth are evil in our hearts. You and I are capable of the same violence and corruption that men and women in the pre-flood era committed. Like them, we think evil, imagine evil all the time. Our every thought is always and only evil. For example, if the Lord had not graciously granted us permission to eat meat, I believe that we would also have rebelled against him and started eating pork and beef and sashimi without his permission. I mean, come on, how many of us here are vegans or vegetarians? And you know the Chinese zodiac, right? We eat every single one of them. Yeah, even dragons, because we created a fruit called a dragon fruit, and we eat that. And I've heard more than one Christian say something like this. Hey, I heard there's no meat in heaven. Leh. Better eat all you can now. Our hearts are so perverse, we even find fault with the kingdom of God. Furthermore, earlier in the introduction, we saw how modern people have invented creatively cruel ways of eating animals alive, even though God has explicitly forbidden it long ago. How evil are we if we want the fish to watch us munch on its flesh? How greedy are we if we have everything to eat, but we still desire insect feces? Some people may think eating live maggots is not as bad as eating a dead and alive fish, it's not as bad as eating raw meat sliced from a living sheep. But the Bible tells us that all life is precious in the eyes of God. His commandment includes every moving thing. Hence, whether fish or animals or insects, let us not commit violence by eating them alive. And since we know that the Noachic covenants were given to stop violence on earth, let us obey the spirit of the law and treat the lives of other creatures with respect, knowing that they are God's beloved creation. In practice, this means turning away from unnecessarily cruel methods of catching and preparing food. Also, rejecting sources of food which exploit insects and animals. And in this season of Lent, whether we should choose to fast from meat or not, may the Word of God convict us of our dietary depravity and teach us to give thanks to our Creator God for giving us permission to eat meat. But I digress. We were saying that we are evil people. Our every thought is always and only evil. If we do not appear to be evil, 
It is only because God, in His grace, restrains us through various means. The reformer John, John Calvin captures this uh, insightfully. Hence, some are restrained by shame from breaking out into many kinds of foulness, others by the fear of the law, even though they do not, for the most part, hide their impurity. Still others, because they consider an honest manner of life profitable, in some measure aspire to it. Others rise above the common lot in order by their excellence to keep the rest obedient to them. Thus, God by his providence bridles perversity of nature that it may not break forth into action, but he does not purge it within. Essentially, what Calvin is saying is that we do not always act on our evil thoughts because sometimes it is disadvantageous to, be, to do evil and other times it is more advantageous to do good. But whether we refrain from evil or not, the truth is our hearts are evil. Since we are no better than our ancestors before us, we too deserve to be wiped out by floodwaters. I fear that it could have happened in every generation of human history, if not for the Noachic covenant. For the Lord is a righteous God and he is being provoked by us all the day long. He would be justified to punish us when his wrath is kindled, but he doesn't. Because when he brings the rain clouds, he sees the bow and he remembers his promise to be patient and merciful with us. Does this mean that we are free to think evil and act wickedly since we are protected under this everlasting covenant of peace? Of course not. God promised that there will not be another global worldwide flood that drowns all life on earth, but God did not promise that he will not use other forms of judgment on the sins of the world. And he cannot make such promises because he must make an end of sin for our God is perfect in holiness. Make no mistake, the flood in the time of Noah is the divine judgment on that generation of people, but it is also a preview of the ultimate judgment of all generations of humankind from beginning to the end of the world. The Noachic covenant only serves as a temporary relief to preserve all life on earth until the day of the final judgment. The Apostle Peter testifies to us, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Or, as an old song goes, God gave Noah the rainbow sign, no more water, the fire next time. But the good news is this. The Lord our God is holy, but God is also love. He hates nothing he has made and forgives the sins of all those who are penitent. Therefore, after the preview of the final judgment through the flood, he gave us a preview of final salvation with the Noachic covenant. If God saved a remnant from judgment by water, God will save a remnant from judgment by fire. If Noah was lifted up from the deadly waters in the ark to step out into a new creation, Christians 
are raised from waters of baptism in Christ to step up into a new heaven and new earth. The all-consuming fire is coming, but we need not perish if we are in Christ. Salvation is ultimately possible for all evil people because Christ suffered death and was buried, and on the third day he rose again. These things we shall rehearse in more detail on Good Friday and Easter Sunday. For now, since everything will be destroyed in the fire, but we shall be saved in Christ Jesus, what kind of people ought we to be today in response to God's great love? May I suggest to you that we can take inspiration from Noah. Genesis 6 verses 8 to 9 describes Noah in this way. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Someone commented that this assessment of Noah also suggests a progression in his spirituality, and I think it's a helpful way to look at it. Hence, we may affirm that Noah started off with righteousness. By righteousness, we mean that Noah believed in God. His righteousness comes through faith. He believes in God. He believes what God said about judgment and salvation. Then Noah progressed to blameless. By being blameless, we mean that Noah obeyed God's commandments. Obedience to God is the natural outflow of faith. So Noah did not behave like people around him. He turned away from the evil practices of his generation and followed the ways of God. And the outcome of his faith and obedience is a close relationship with the Lord. This is what is meant by walking with God. It's like a teacher and a pupil, or a parent and a child. The one teaches the other how to live his life in spite of what other people are doing and the other seeks one's wisdom on how to navigate through dark times. How do we reconcile the fact that Noah is blameless, but at the same time, the intention of his heart is evil? We cannot deny the fact that Noah, like every other human being, is also evil. Noah was not without sin. In fact, his story ends with him compromising himself with too much wine. Yet, he was considered righteous and blameless. Commentators suggest that it was, not, it was because Noah is repentant. Noah does not hide his transgressions from the Almighty, but confesses to God as soon as he realizes his offense. He trusts that God, who knows his weakness, will graciously hear his prayers and mercifully forgive. Cycles of repentance and forgiveness characterizes a life of faith. Since God will not bring to remembrance what he has forgiven, the man of faith stands blameless. Brothers and sisters, since we are already accepted by God in Christ Jesus, let us also walk with God in faith and obedience continually. Let us believe that God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit exist, and that he is a holy, merciful, and loving God. Let us continually turn away from evil by directing our steps in the ways God has spoken to us in the Bible, 
learning what we ought and ought not to do in our lives on earth with fellow humans and other living creatures. Let us walk closely with God in prayer and confession, trusting that through cycles of repentance and forgiveness, we will emerge blameless. And God on his part is creating in us a clean heart. By the blood of Jesus, the Lord cleanses us from evil. By the Holy Spirit, the Lord regenerates goodness in our hearts. And you know, I think when we're finally made perfect in Christ, we will no longer crave meat and therefore not miss anything really. Meanwhile, we continue to enjoy and give thanks for Pakwa. Happy Chinese New Year. Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, thank you for your word, which reveals the unbelievable truth that we are evil, perverse, wicked people. And thank you for the even more unbelievable truth that you love us, forgive us, and save us in spite of our sin. Through the flood, you have proven your hatred of sin. Through the covenant, you have proven your mercy towards sinners. And through your son, you have proven your love for the world. Therefore, Holy Spirit, help us to believe these truths. Convict our hearts of sin, of judgment and of righteousness once again so that we may come to you in prayer and confession and receive from you a clean heart and a good conscience. Help us turn away from evil and walk with you in faith and obedience continually, loving God, loving our neighbours and loving all your creation. Do a deep work in us this season for your name's sake. Thank you, Lord. We bless you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.